everyone. This podcast is brought to you by Global Shop Solutions ERP Software. Simplify your manufacturing by scheduling a demo at globalshopsolutions.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Upside Swings NBA Draft Podcast, the podcast of the highest ceiling. I'm your host, Bryce Hedrick, joined always by the great Stone Hanson, the wonderful Cooper Klein, and the next in our series of guests, uh, here to talk to the Los Angeles Clippers, who are a very, very interesting team with uh, uh, a lot to talk about, it feels like. And that's uh, Avinash, uh, at 100 guaranteed on Twitter. Um, someone who we just kind of re- met recently, but uh, I've got to really know, and, and I'm, a, I'm a big fan of, of what he does and, and uh, all his, the knowledge he brings to the game. So Avinash, my friend, how you doing? Doing pretty good. How are you? I'm good. It's been, uh, it's, we're in that stretch right now. Where we are just really, really like, I mean, it's basically 24-7 basketball right now. And then right when I've, right literally the day after the draft ends, uh, the women's basketball team in WSU starts up and I do some work uh, with them. So it's uh, it's nonstop, but I love it. It's, uh, that's what I'm here for. Coop Stone, my friends, before we get into the Clippers, how are you doing? Uh, doing good. Uh, just grinding a bunch of film. The grind never stops. Hashtag build different. But uh no, we're uh, excited to talk today about the Clippers. Should be a good one. Yeah, the Clippers have uh, one of my favorite players of all time and Robert Covington. Uh, so this is going to be a great episode. Uh, had a long day at work, but uh, very, very excited. This is going to be a fun episode. Interesting team that even when they mess up picks, they don't really mess up. So this will be a good one. I sometimes wonder if our listeners think Stone is like 35. He just said hashtag out loud uh i kind of feel like our listeners uh i are... am <laughs> surprise he's, he's got to be 35 in spirit it's, at the very least uh, yeah. I, like some of the things that come out of his mouth it's like it feels like when like he a, definitely has he definitely has a kid somewhere like i don't <laughs> <laughs> yeah the uh, amount of the amount of awful awful references his, his name is jared butler <laughs> <laughs> all right uh all right I, I love it. Uh, what a start. Uh, and that does take me to the Clippers themselves. Uh, the Clippers are, of course, in just a really interesting spot where it feels like they're in title contention, but also this last year they didn't even make the playoffs. Um, it's kind of felt like one step forward and two steps back every season since they acquired Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Obviously that move happened and we're like, oh, wow, like this is, you know, I remember people talking about like what this meant for parity in the league like as a whole, like there's no such thing as a super team. Now it's like, there's all these spread out. Uh, There's two stars in Brooklyn. There's two stars in LA. There's two stars in the other LA. There's, you know, there's still the warrior and all that, like all that hubbub came about uh, right. Like that night when it was announced that Paul George was traded and it's just, they haven't been able to just kind of get the stars to align. You know, that, that 2019, 20 year, of course, ended in the bubble. It kind of felt like, they were just out coached a little bit in, in that series against the Nuggets. Um, they, they hire a new coach who looks good, and then no one can stay healthy. They just can't be healthy for an entire postseason run, despite the load management stuff with Kawhi. Um, it just feels like it's been so up and down. So, Avinash, how would you kind of describe this past season for the Clippers? I think the one step forward, two step back is really a microcosm of this year's season. Like, we can just look at PG and how he performed throughout the entire season, right? Like the first like 25 games, PG was arguably a fringe MVP candidate, right? He was putting up like 25, seven and five a game. And the team was, the team was never expected to be a championship team this year, especially with Kawhi being out. 
but they were above 0.500 for the first 25 games. So that's why PG was getting some of that MVP hype. But then he tore his, um, he tore his UCL, I think it was around December 6th. And one interesting thing about the, the torn UCL going off full tangent is that torn UCLs aren't really common in basketball. Like, torn UCL is more of a baseball injury. Like that's when you get like Tommy John surgery. And like the mechanism of getting a torn UCL is you have like an overextension of your elbow. So if you look at like 2006, Andrea Bargnani, he had a, he had a, a torn UCL, but he had that when he was going up for a dunk. So I looked at the, I was watching the December 6th game against the Trailblazers. And there's no real instant during that game where you can be like, okay, that's where Paul George tore his UCL. So it's just a very murky injury. It's not very common in basketball. Like the recovery timeframe without surgery is very murky. So overall, he was out for three months. And most would expect that without PG and, and Kawhi, you'd probably drop down to like lottery status. But despite missing 48 of the next 50 games, the Clippers were still above 0.500. They were 29 and 28. And they had a variety of their different players like stepping up. Most notably, one of my favorite players, Amir Coffey. He was kind of a nobody. He went undrafted from Minnesota, but he really stepped it up along, as did some other players. And they did manage to keep staying above 0.500. And then for like, so at this point, they're still above 0.500. It's still a pretty positive season. And then PG comes back. The elbow looks completely fine. He was shooting like 52% from three. And then they go into the play-in. I think the first game against the Timberwolves, it wasn't – obviously, you, you never want a loss, especially in, a, in, like, a playoff setting. But I think it was partially excusable, especially since they did keep Cat very low scoring. I think he didn't score a single point the entire first half. And that's also because of, like, their drop coverage. You, like, their emphasis on rim protection and letting a lot of, like, pull-up jumpers threes. So there was a lot of, like, outlier shooting from Anthony Edwards and D'Lo. So – Despite the loss, I thought that going into the Pelicans game was a pretty winnable game. But then, of course, PG suffered. Uh, he got COVID, and they lost that game. So overall, they were in the play, and I think if they did play the Grizzlies, if they had beaten the Pelicans, I think they could have put that series probably six, seven games. But generally speaking, I think you can't really look at this season as a disappointment considering the injuries. But obviously, the ending of the season where PG just gets injured or gets COVID, I think that kind of did dampen things a little bit. So I would say it's a slight, it was a slight W, but it wasn't the end of the season that I wanted. Yeah, there was definitely just that little bit of um, frustration, but also like a, just kind of an understandable frustration, right? Like even if they, you know, they, they win that play in game, they're the seventh seed, they take the Grizzlies to six or seven. Like this is this team as constructed with, a hurt star and Kawhi Leonard was still not going to win the championship. And it does feel like that's what the aspirations are here, right? From the top down, Steve Ballmer wants a championship. Ty Lue wants a championship. Kawhi and PG want championships. Like that is sort of the organizational mantra. And that does take me to the two stars. Everything I've seen and, and uh, from, you know, hearing from uh, uh, medical experts and, and Avinash, you are definitely more in tune with this stuff than me, but it seems like Kawhi Leonard is going to be back for the start of next season. Uh, it feels like, or at the very least, early on in next season, Paul George is going to be back. Those two are still the two build-around stars. I still think that's a championship core. What do you think that, like, duo works together? Like, how well do you think they work together, I guess? And then what do you think a team built around them needs to look like to maximize that championship window? 
Um, I think there's been a lot of skepticism about like building a team around two wings, but then looking at how Boston's um, survived in these playoffs, I don't think it's impossible to build a roster around two wings. I think that the main issue is that not only are Kawhi and PG relatively injury prone, but they're also, they're pretty up there in age. I think they're both, they're both definitely over 30. I think PG is about to be 32. So when you have these older stars, at the wing position, you need to surround them with like requisite playmaking talent, someone who can really get downhill and create um, advantages that they can um, take advantage of in, in essence. So I think the issue with the Clippers that especially last, not last season, but the year before with Kawhi and PG is that they're overly reliant on tough shot making. And you can especially see that in the clutch. So when you have, a, when you have like a threat who can really go downhill, defenses, essentially have to send help so Kawhi and PG aren't shooting over smaller players. When you look at like the diverse screening actions that, um, Do that um, well, Doc Rivers was doing a little bit before, but it's more Ty Lue, they ran a lot of inverted pick and rolls where like the guards are setting the ball screens for Kawhi and PG. So then that forces um, the defenses to rotate so Kawhi and PG aren't matched up against these shorter players and shooting over them. But one of the issues in when you're building a team like this is that you need to have these guards who are surviving in the screening actions. I think that's a big part of what Pat Bev was, or Pat Bev was doing, Lou Williams was doing, Laundry Shantman was doing. They were all very good underrated screen setters. So when they're gone, there's not as many actions that you can run these like guard ball screens to, um, to take advantage of like the shot making that Kawhi and PG provide. I think at the end of the day, you really need to provide some type of downhill threat to allow it's downhill threat as well as like playmaking of course that's the, the mantra that we've had for like the last like three seasons we need a point guard to play alongside Kawhi and PG I think building a team with that mindset not just having Reggie Jackson because with all due respect to Reggie Jackson he's not a ch championship caliber point guard I think building a team with that mindset is pretty important yeah yeah absolutely um that takes me to the two bets that they do have at kind of point guard on the roster. And one of these guys might seem weird to, to call a point guard, but uh, I think has his moments there. Terrence Mann. And the other is Reggie Jackson. I'm so sorry for my dog. She's, she's freaking out right now. Uh, someone's moving in down below me. I'll cut all this out. Um, but those two are, uh, they're just kind of different ends of the spectrum, right? I think Terrence Mann has moments as a downhill creator uh, and has slowly kind of developed, but is mostly known for his defense stuff. And then Reggie Jackson is kind of more of like a, a pull-up artist at this point. Like, that's his big thing. So, Avinash, do you think either of those two are like, like the future guard, or do you still think that guy needs to come from outside the roster? Um. I'll start with Terrence Mann. I think Terrence Mann has shown some playmaking flashes. Like I think he was playing Florida State. He did have some playmaking flashes, especially in the pick and roll. But ultimately, like this season, we were all expecting him to make the leap, right? We saw the Utah series, but he really just didn't make the leap. He kind of continued the um, his per 100 counting stats just in greater um, volume. So he was putting up like 10 points a game this year. And I think that Despite the improved playmaking with Isaiah Hartenstein, he's not just, he's ultimately just not super comfortable handling the ball for himself and creating for others consistently. I think that you can have him play as like a point in flashes, but he, you can't really, um, you can't lean on him as like a main playmaker. Um, going into like their sh the shooting ability of both Terrence Mann and Reggie Jackson, I think 
they both bring different aspects of shooting to the table, but they both have some critical flaws. So for instance, Terrence Mann, I think one of the most frustrating things about watching Terrence Mann is that we know he's a very good shot maker. He, we know that he can shoot off the dribble threes with pretty good proficiency, but like he's only shooting like three, less than three threes per game. And he's shooting 37% on them. So I think improving that three point volume for Terrence Mann is going to be pretty critical. I think decreasing the on-ball um, role a little bit and putting more emphasis on off-ball role as like a three-point specialist with obviously a little bit of playmaking, that would be the ideal role for Terrence Mann, not as much, much on-ball playmaking as he did this year. On the contrary, with Reggie Jackson, he did take a lot more threes this year, but his, uh, his efficiency dropped pretty drastically. I think last year he shot like 43% from three. This year he was like 38% from three. And the biggest issue is that despite the three-point volume going up, he's really not that great of a three-point shooter off the dribble. He's, you, he's someone you want off, uh, off the standstill. He's a very good catch-and-shoot uh, three-point shooter. I think combining both of these players would probably be, like, the best option for the Clippers. But, like, at the end of the day, Reggie Jackson doesn't provide the off-dribble shot-making. Uh, Terrence Mann isn't shooting threes enough, but he doesn't bring the playmaking that Reggie Jackson necessarily brings. So I think that going forward, either – we see some types of like insane development from Terrence Mann, obviously Red Jackson getting older, or we look for like a move, we look for another point where I think Mike Conley would be a very good addition to the Clippers. But I don't think that either of these players are truly gonna be um, like cha championship caliber point guards or playmakers, unless you have like additional pieces around them. Yeah, I'm completely with you. Uh, I think Mike Conley would be a great fit. This is a team that really could have used Tyrese Maxey instead of trading a pick that could have taken him for Luke Kennard. Um, but that's kind of just how it goes. It's, it's hard to see what Tyrus Maxey has become if you're, you know, in some ways, uh, there are plenty who predicted him to be this good. But um, that does take me to kind of the rest of the core around those kind of four guys that we've talked about. Of course, Reggie could not even be a part of this core by any means. I think, I think Man, Leonard, and George is kind of a, like, I think those are three wings that are really valued. I'd be surprised to see, I'd be surprised to see man moved if it's not for like a, a, a huge star type guy. But um, this next group, I think, is all a bit more up in the air. And I'm just interested to hear your kind of thoughts on them. So I have Norman Powell, Luke Kennard, Marcus Morris, Robert Covington, Avicha Zubach. Those are the guys who are currently under, under contract on the team. And then off contract uh, free agents who I think they, they might look to bring back Isaiah Hartenstein. And then especially Nick Batum, who has a player option. But uh, I, I, I don't know. I feel like he's probably going to decline. I feel like he thinks he's worth more than $3 million. Um, but who knows? Uh, so you don't have to go through every single one of these guys individual, in, individually. Excuse me. But in general, what do you think of this core around uh, Kawhi and PG? And what do you think needs to be shifted about it or they should be looking to address in this offseason? Um, I think I've reiterated a little before, but the lack of rim pressure, especially from like the guards and wings, is a pretty big issue. They ranked like they ranked 26 last year in drives per game, and only 21st in paint in paint touches and points from paint touches. So, obviously, there's a lot of emphasis on finding that true floor general, which the Clippers don't really have. But I think the bigger issue is downhill rim pressure. The Clippers have like an abundance of shooting wings, but ultimately, they don't really provide the requisite downhill rim pressure that you're looking to find. If you have that, that requisite rim pressure, you can force the defenses to rotate so the Clippers can get like an open catch and shoot look, or they can set up to drive again. 
But if you just focus on like a point guard who isn't really attacking the rim, I think Jason Preston kind of falls into this, their draft pick from last year. He's a very good floor general, but he had like a 20 free throw rate last year. He had less than 100 paint touches with for uh, a mid-major team. So I think that having him as like the one would ultimately just yield like PG, the, the point guard just passing the ball to PG and Kawhi. And there's no like previous advantage that you're taking advantage of or ultimately they're just going to stand in the corner. So I think that adding more wings who can generate downhill rim pressure is ultimately going to be the biggest issue. And looking at Nick Batum, um, Marcus Morris, even BJ Boston, they're not really providing very much rim pressure. And that's why I think looking at Marcus Morris specifically, given the Clippers, they have so many different wings that they can, that can shoot past dribble. I think that Marcus Morris is someone that you can look for in a trade that maybe we can package Marcus Morris with the 43rd pick, move up, find someone who can actually provide that downhill rim pressure. Because at the end of the day, I think it's only Reggie Jackson and Amir Coffey and a, and a little bit of Terrence Mann, who other than PG and Kawhi are really providing that rim pressure when engaged. So I think that looking at some of the guys that you were talking about, one of my favorite players, as I said before, Amir Coffey. I think his breakout is kind of a microcosm of what the Clippers really need because he's really a three-level scorer, right? He's an able slasher with the Clippers, especially because considering they're spaced out. He's a very good mid-range shooter, and he can hit spot of three. Well, he shot like 38% from deep on a large number of attempts. In addition, he's 6'7", but he can run pick and rolls, especially considering the Lakers, the Clippers don't have that effective playmaker in the half court. He kind of played that role out of necessity. And he's obviously a very good on-ball defender, which he's very energetic, he's active, and he has underrated three navigation abilities, which obviously you need when Zubak's playing drop. So I think looking for these classic dribble pass shoot wings who can also generate rim pressure is going to be the deciding factor in either keeping a wing, drafting a wing, or deciding to ultimately trade a wing. So looking at, you also mentioned Norman Powell. I think Norman Powell, someone who, that was a very good addition, in my opinion. He he does bring that uh, that rim pressure, but he's also a very versatile scorer with pull-up equity. I think his first game against the Clippers, he was with Milwaukee. They played Milwaukee. He dropped 28 off the bench, but he did um, suffer like a fractured bone in his left foot, and that kind of slowed his momentum. He didn't look that good in the playing game. But I think looking for someone like Norman Powell, Amir Coffey, these are the type of players that they're not they're going to be players that the defense has to respect. But at the same time, they do generate rim pressure by themselves. They, they generate lots of drives to the rim. And considering like the, the spaced out scheme of the Clippers, this is especially advantageous. And I think Coop mentioned uh, he really loved Robert Covington. I think Robert Covington was another really great addition by the Clippers. And I, they recently re-signed him. And he did have a resurgence after being traded to the Clippers because he's a very versatile defender. And the, very, the importance of him is he can play the small ball five in wingy lineups considering his rim protection and you can match him up against like power forwards and centers. And he's also obviously an elite help defender with like a seven foot two wingspan. So he can roam when you have the elite point of defender, point of attack defenders like PG and play the passing lane. So I think that despite him not generating that much rim pressure, his ability on defense, the versatility that he brings, especially the small ball five, I think that he, him in conjunction with like a very wingy lineup where you can run out like, Four different wings and then rob at the five that would be a pretty um that'd pretty be a pretty hard lineup to defend ultimately yeah, yeah i don't want to sound too i don't keep going on too long but the clippers just don't have that many rim pressuring guys to take advantage of like the spaced out lineup 
So when you do have that guy who can generate rim pressure, I think ultimately that's going to have a much greater effect on the Clippers, especially in the postseason. Yeah, and it kind of makes you wish the Clippers would have valued the draft more, right? I mean, exactly. like taking Keon Johnson at 21 when and, – and I know he fell a long ways, but like Shreve Cooper was available, and he was Shreve was available wow. at 33. Shreve has his warts, but the one thing he could really, really do at a high level is get downhill and take advantage of that. And, uh, you know, I, I love Jason Preston. I love his story. Uh, I think Sharif was, would have been far and away the better pick at, I think that was 34 or 35 or something like that. Um, so just like, I, I wish they were a little more that like focus on value in the draft and addressing their weaknesses, you know, they've, cause like, you know, this free agency class does not have very many good pressure guys. The only two I could find that are even kind of like in their price range, maybe are DeLon Wright and Kyle Anderson. And those are sort of weird fits. Right. And they're not. That they're not traditional rim pressure guys either. They're both slow. They just get to the rim through through craft and strength and patience. Um, so it's not the same as getting someone who can just actually get downhill with consistency. Um, so they're just kind of in a, they're in a weird spot to try and address that need. Um, I did want to ask real fast before we move on to the draft. You mentioned Amir Coffee that you were like, I love Amir Coffee too. I'm all for you know, taking bets on wings like him. That's why, that's why I do the draft board, my draft board the way I do. I I'm very in on wings, wings, wings when you're in undrafted free agency, because they're just, there's guys like him that could just come out and be valuable. Uh, but BJ Boston, Jason Preston too, second round picks last year that it seems like they really value. What do you think of that sort of quote unquote young? Um, I think it's hard not to be underwhelmed by the young core, obviously. I guess you could kind of mention Terrence Mann and Zubach and Hartenstein kind of in that young core, but they're obviously they're getting on the older side. I'm not that enthused by this young core at the end of the day. I think Jason Preston, he he is a little older. I don't think that he's ultimately going to be like the point guard of the future. Amir Coffey is a great addition, but he did disappear at the end of the game, at the end of the year. I think Brandon Boston is probably the the centerpiece of this young core he was the 51st pick but we all know like he was a very highly touted recruit he had a rough year at Kentucky I think ultimately the draft isn't something the Clippers have been emphasizing but getting better results from the draft they are very good drafters just not emphasizing the draft I think if they did put an emphasis on the draft maybe trade it up and actually picked in the first round I think that you could see a better you could see better um additions from the draft so while I'm not that enthused by the Clippers young core I think that the the administration is very good drafting wise and I think that whoever they do pick at the 43rd pick I'm pretty confident that they'll have a pretty significant role in the next couple years and you mentioned like they possibly like if they were to move up you know maybe they could hit is there any scenario where you think that that's like a real possibility like any of those sort of uh, rotation guys maybe, or th- there's any sort of chance that they maybe would see a guy that they really like and, and would try and move up for him? Um, I think there's not that many like trade tradable players on the Clippers just based on like salary, gymnastics and stuff like that. But I think Marcus Morris, he's someone who's very expendable, especially since he's one of those guys who doesn't really generate rim pressure and a lot of his value is able to like, his defensive versatility, which obviously the Clippers have a lot of, from their wings. So I think, I don't know if packaging 43rd, the 43rd pick and Marcus Morris would be as beneficial as maybe, I don't know if Marcus Morris can be traded just for a first round pick alone, 
But I think one of the guys I really like, Kendi Chandler, he can generate a lot of rim pressure. He's a very good facilitator. If they were able to move up and one of these like rim pressure guys does drop, trading Marcus Morris for like a late first, early second, and picking up these guys, I think that is pretty tenable. But there isn't really that much flexibility on this like this roster to really make a pretty significant move into the first round. One nice thing, and I haven't put much thought into what this move would look like, but because of Steve Ballmer's willingness to pay, they could potentially trade, you know, Morris for a slightly smaller contract and then stretch that player um, and, and do something like that. So it's not even like you have to trade for someone to also take up a roster spot or trade Morris into either cap space or a trade exception. You could bring back a player that makes less than either you stretch them or you're comfortable with them at 10 million and you can, and you keep them on your bench. Again, I haven't put too much thought into who that is. And, and that would probably uh, pertain that you have to let Hartenstein go, but um, that does take me into targets at 43 and uh, you know, potentially in other places, like the second round is full of shenanigans, right? Like they can probably move up to like 37 relatively easily or something like that. Like that's just how the second round goes, you know, again, Steve Ballmer being, being willing to pay helps a lot because you can just buy picks. Um, and there's a lot of options here. There are a lot of different places they can go, uh, but I will say it's hard to address that specific need. So, I mean, I'll throw this back to you. You know, you mentioned Kenny Chandler. Is there anyone else that you kind of look and you're like, okay, they might be at 43 and they might be able to help us solve our rim pressure issue? Um, besides, Ken, I think Kenny Chandler is probably like my second choice. My first choice is pretty easily Alondis Williams from Wake Forest. He's a pretty crafty dribbler. He's a very good passer. But the issue with Alondis is there's two things. First, he's pretty old, for especially for a senior. I think he's 23. And there's a lot of like turnover issues with him. He tries to attempt a lot of flashy passes. And the jump shot, he's, he's shooting like third, less than 30% from three, less than 70% from the free throw line. So the, the jumper does look okay in like mid-range situations. I think like, obviously, you know a lot more about like the shooting aspects of it, but like, like the energy transfer looks okay. It looks like a relatively clean shot, but just a jump shot isn't going in. But considering the Clippers' strength and his strengths, the, the Clippers' weaknesses and his strengths align pretty well, as do his weaknesses and the Clippers' strengths. Obviously, he's a very good passer. I think he might, he's arguably the best passer in the entire draft. And he has a very quick first step. So when you combine like that quick step, the quick first step to generate those paint touches, to generate that downhill rim pressure, and also like the ability to kick out to the Clippers shooters, I think that he's probably the best. Um, he's probably the best choice for the Clippers at 43. In addition, I also mentioned how the Clippers like to use uh, guards and like ball screen actions a lot, and they did lose a lot of these players like Pat Bev, um, Laundry Shamit. But um, considering how strong and how like physically gifted that Alondis Williams is, I think he. He wasn't really used as a screener that much at Wake Forest, but I think that he would be a very good screener. And obviously, he's a very good offensive rebounder, and the Clippers are near the bottom of the league in offensive rebounding. But looking more specifically at like the specific strength that he brings, the downhill rim pressure can, like, combined with his playmaking, he shot about like 66% of the rim, despite self-creating almost like 75% of those looks. And DraftPal wrote a really good article today about how um, – Alondis's handle has really improved over the last year. Like at Oklahoma, he didn't really exhibit. He had some flashes, but the handle just wasn't at the point that it is today. So looking at that development trajectory from Oklahoma to Wake Forest, even though he is 23, he's had a very awkward development, which I think that 
the age concerns can be mitigated a little bit considering how fast he is improving. So if you combine the downhill rim pressure, the, the ability for him to offensively rebound, his, he, he has a very strong core strength on some of these like whip passes. So I think he'd be a decent screener. I think all these things combined, I think Alondis is probably my favorite target for the Clippers at 43. Yeah, I think that's I think that's very fair. And and to be honest, I mean, looking through this whole draft, like there's like four real downhill advantage creators, right? It's like Jaden Ivey, Blake Wesley, and then those two guys you mentioned at the guard spot. It's like no one else is really like a downhill driver in this whole class. Even like Jan Montero, mostly a pull-up artist. Uh, that's Ty Ty Washington for sure. Malachi Branham, pull-up artist. Like there's not a ton of like give them the ball, get downhill guys. So uh, they might be hard pressed to find that guy if 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 Alanda and and Chandler are gone by forty three. Um, Coop, are there any names that kind of stand out to you as guys you like here? Well, you're forgetting one very very important downhill guard, and that's the legend himself, Hugo Besson, uh, out of New Zealand, uh, Frenchman. But uh, just the master at maybe not getting there and finishing, but driving into the paint and making that perfectly executed kick out or read uh, manipulating the defense. And, uh, you know, I think on a team like the Clippers that has shooting potentially at basically every single position uh, or, you know, a solid roller like Hartenstein or Zubats at the five, uh, a guy like Hugo could really, really thrive and be given that role off the bench and just fling himself into the paint, make proper re- uh, kick outs and be covered up for defensively because he's got, two of the best stoppers and some of the best team defenders in the NBA around him. I think this would be a, a perfect spot for him. Uh, Alondez was one of my guys here. I thought just a fun bet at both the point guard that they kind of need. And as a wing connector, uh, that would be kind of cool. And then if he were to fall Christian Brown, I think could be really cool. It's just another wing who can attack closeouts, defend, uh, you know, cover up for, different deficiencies with different lineups, just kind of do his thing, be six, six, shoot the ball and like generate rim pressure as a closeout attacker, which I think he's pretty solid at. Um, and then if I, if, if the Clippers were to trade up, I think that the dream would be Marjan Beauchamp. Uh, if they could somehow find a way to get him the definition of off ball rim pressure and like, cutting and slashing and just incredible at, at anything near the rim shot, like 60 something percent on twos. If I'm recalling correctly, just absolutely nuts. Uh, I, I don't know if the Clippers could get him, but someone like that who can play off ball and generate rim pressure, I think would be really, really funky next to, uh, you know, just on this Clippers roster that's so devoid of, of those things. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Stone, any names pop to you? I mean, it's it's pretty difficult to talk about rim pressure and not bring up Darion Sebron, um, even depending on what you think of how much he can do outside of the rim pressure is sort of another story and how, how much of an advantage it really is uh, if he can't make plays out of it. But uh, just the fact that he's there and surrounded by the defense that can sort of help um, cover for some of the concerns that he brings along with him on that end. I think that's an interesting name at the least. Uh, Another guy um, 
you probably aren't. I mean, he's probably not like the first choice at 43, but Jamari Bouye is sort of interesting to me. Um, if you were to be there for the Clippers, I do think he provides some level of rim pressure. Uh, and I think the pull-up shooting is legit. So uh, I'd, I'd be, I wouldn't hate it if they took him at 43. It's probably a little high value wise for me, but again, once you get into the forties, it's not that huge of a deal generally. So uh, that's probably the two names that, that were mentioned that sort of interest me. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, there there's more ways to go than I'm probably even giving credit for, right? Like, like uh, of thinking of guards, um, there are a couple like like Scotty Pippen Jr. could be in this area. Molinar definitely gets to the rim. He doesn't do much else. Even Nemhard, like if they could find a way to get Nemhard, that'd be great. Um, but there's just like there's no one that really pops to me uh, as like rim pressure guys that you guys haven't already mentioned. Um, so I'm gonna go a different way. You know, we know that the Clippers like to go small. They like to go with basically a four playing the five to end games, right? Switch everything. Um, I think Jabari Walker would be perfect in that if he's if he's around at 43. I think he is an awesome, awesome bet at a um, start at the four, finish at the five type, uh, small ball center, switch everything. But he can also like, like you can switch everything with him, but he can also like drop a little. He can't be like a complete drop like at the rim, but he can drop a little bit and and you know, uh, do some rim protection. I think, I think he can really shoot. Um, Dom Barlow kind of fills that as well. Not maybe yet a shooter, probably a bit more developmental time needed, but can really, really move. Um, and then this is a weird one, but Patrick Baldwin Jr. I think could also fill that. So there's three guys there who I'm like, maybe they're small ball fives. If you can't get a rim pressure guard or wing, you get a small ball five and, and do it that way. It's just tough. Like there's just a, there's very little advantage creation in this class in general um, outside of the top. And even like guys that are going to go in the lottery, the sell with them isn't that they're advantage creators, right? It's that they're um, very good support players. So they're kind of at an interesting spot. Um, it's, uh, you know, that's, that's about all I have on the Clippers, but we like to ask all our guests kind of what their dream outcome is. And with the Clippers only having one pick, I want to ask you a bit more holistically about their off season. You know, there's some free agency stuff that could happen. So, Avinash, like in you know, in your dream scenario, what does this Clippers offseason look like, and what does the team look like next season? Um, I think maintaining the status quo is probably like the biggest dream scenario I have for the Clippers. Obviously, they are going to be over the cap, but considering Steve Ballmer's the richest owner in all sports, I don't think that's that big of an issue. They're going to pay. They're going to pay all these guys. They're going to get. I hope they get Batum back. I know Batum. They can't pay him that much, but um, he has spoken in the past about how Tyloo has like reinvigorated his career. So I think just retaining Matum, um, uh, Hartenstein, all these guys, and then picking a guy in the draft, either at 43 or maybe moving up for a guy like you mentioned, Mar- uh, Buchamp, or even Kennedy Chandler, or if they have to stay Alondis Williams. I think just getting that guy who can generate the downhill pressure as well as maintain- maintaining all of their pieces would probably be the best the dream scenario, if you will, for the Clippers. And I think moving forward, the Clippers tend to stagger Kawhi and PG quite a bit. But considering that Kawhi is com- – that he's already being load managed before the injury, and now he's coming off ACL. So it's pretty safe to assume that he's going to be, like, very excessively load managed. So having all these role players step it up and actually having Paul George like, be available throughout this season, I think that if you combine all these role players with that downhill rim pressure – with that they add through the draft I think that would probably I think that would probably be the dream scenario I know it's 
it's obviously a dream scenario. You can't really expect a rookie to be that effective for a playoff contender. But if Alondis was able to continue his like insane development trajectory, maybe, and just generate that downhill pressure to open up the entire defense, force rotation, just make it easier for Kawhi, PG, all of them. I think that is ultimately the dream scenario for the Clippers. Yeah, absolutely. And in the end, you know, the goal is a championship, like we said up top. Like at some point in the next couple of years, it really is kind of championship or bust if these two are healthy. If they never get healthy, I think we'll look back on this era as just a what if. But I really desperately want to see a healthy Kawhi PG duo because I think, like I said, I've picked them to win championships multiple times because I think that is a truly unstoppable playoff duo if the right pieces are around them and they're healthy. So you should see how it goes. I mean, Ash, we can't thank you enough for coming on. Again, this was like, it was kind of short notice. Uh, we were desperate to get any Clippers guy on and, and, and you blessed us with your presence. So let the people know where they can find you and, and, and all your work. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, I think the only place to plug is my Twitter at 100 guaranteed. Go follow that, read all my tweets. But beyond that, thank you for this opportunity. Really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. You were you were great, man. And, and uh, I, I'm a fan of like I said, I'm a fan of interacting with you. I think you do a lot of great stuff and uh, you have that you have an interesting perspective and I always value that. So thank you so much for coming on for Stone at report underscore court for Coop at Ali underscore Oop underscore Coop. I'm at Bryce Hendrick 14. Uh, make sure to join us live on draft night for sort of our big kind of draft night party thing. Uh, this has been the Upside Weeks of VA Draft podcast. We hope we had our ceiling. Thank you. We once again like to thank our sponsors at GlobalShopSolution.com. Simplify your manufacturing and schedule a demo today at GlobalShopSolutions.com. Thank you.